This is Atolio Conversations. I'm Luke Alley. Alex Solomon co-founded PagerDuty in 2009. He was the company's first CEO up through 2016, and today he's their CTO. He joined me to talk about the early days at PD and some of the lessons and challenges from that time around knowing when to launch the product, which parts of the employee experience they prioritized while they were a startup, why they chose an open by default mentality, where PD is headed in the future, and more. Also, I want to mention I met him a couple years ago in person, and he was so incredibly nice and just a delightful human being. Just thought you should know. Please enjoy my conversation with Alex Solomon. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, maybe let's just start by talking about your background and founding PagerDuty and and where you are today. Yeah, my, my background, uh, you know, I went to uh, college or university for software engineering and uh, ended up uh, as an engineer on Amazon uh, at Amazon. Um, that was my first job straight out of school, and uh, that's uh, you know I was working on you know one of the teams there, and um, the way Amazon is structured and does things was pretty interesting, and I learned a lot uh, from that experience. They were one of the pioneers of DevOps, so they were oriented around small teams, and those teams are uh, responsible for for writing software, but not just you know writing code, but also testing it and deploying it to production. So it's like you build it, you own it type of mentality. And I think they were doing this even before DevOps was really a thing, or maybe it was just getting started as a as a movement. Um, and I saw the power of that way of working, like um, you know being an engineer on a team where uh, I wasn't just writing code, but I was thinking about how that 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 system would work in production and talk to other systems. Basically, as a service-oriented architecture, is what we were do, we were building, and um, uh, we were also on call for for those systems. So when something would break, uh, I carried a pager, um, and that's how Amazon did notifications at the time. Is like you actually carry a pager. This is actually before smartphones. Back in uh, you know, I was there from 06 to 08. And um, that's actually where we got the inspiration, me and my other two co-founders for for PagerDuty, is uh, we we knew we wanted to do a startup. We actually quit all all of us quit our jobs and got together and we spent a month just brainstorming ideas. So we knew we wanted to do something. We didn't know what. Um, so we we spent like the first month like doing research and brainstorming and looking for for problems to solve. And the way we came up with the PagerDuty idea was by thinking back from Amazon, what are uh, interesting internal tools that have that Amazon has built out of necessity that would be useful for other companies as well. And we thought about that, you know, that PagerDuty experience, and they had built an in-house tool which integrated with their ticketing system uh, to handle on-call. Um, rotations and scheduling and paging via pagers and escalations. So if you didn't pick up the, the page and you had a certain amount of time, like I, I think it was like 30 minutes for a sev2 uh, type of page, then it would escalate to your manager. So there was always a fallback. And uh, if you let it escalate, it was maybe not always a pleasant conversation as an engineer after the fact. So so that's where we came up with the idea. And we started the 
the company in February of 2009. Um, basically, the concept, the initial concept was we're, we're going to be a system that sits on top of all of your monitoring tools and aggregates all of your alerts from your, you know, Nagios was popular at the time and a lot of open source monitoring. And then the, the new wave of yeah, New Relic and, and other tools and then Datadog later on. And, um, and then AWS CloudWatch and others as well. And we'd aggregate all of the alerts. And then when something would break and an alert would fire, we'd make sure to route it to the right team. Um, that team would manage their own on-call uh, with on-call rotations. And they'd ensure that any of these issues would get handled quickly and nothing would fall, fall to the cracks. Um, so the three of us started this in Toronto. We all moved back back home. Um, and, uh, maybe about a year into it, we, we applied to Y Combinator. We ended up getting in at the time we had some early traction. We had launched the first version of the product. We had some early revenue. We were kind of on, on our way to being, uh, ramen profitable. Um, if, uh, so basically being able to pay our own expenses out of, out of the revenue. And, uh, yeah, we, we applied and got into Y Combinator. So this, we started in February of 09. We launched the first, uh, version of the product in the summer. It was kind of like a beta version. And then the paid version came out in, uh, December of 09. And then the following year in the summer, we did Y Combinator. We moved the three of us to, to Silicon Valley to the Bay Area. And, um, uh, then after YC, we ended up raising a, a seed round. And that was one of the big benefits of YC is that they were, for us, at least, um, they were they were really good at uh, basically helping us um, helping us get connected to investors and helping us navigate uh, the VC and angel landscape. Because you know we're three engineers, we've never dealt with investors before, so they helped us craft and hone our pitch and uh, our vision as well, and um, uh, that that connection to investors, and then how to navigate and negotiate and and talk to investors and get them excited about what, what we were building. So we ended up raising a, a seed round at that point. And then the following year started hiring and hiring engineers to, to build out the product further. Um, then uh, maybe in 2012, that was another big milestone for us. We were uh, growing exponentially about, I think, 10% month over month at that time. Um, uh, we had uh, crossed, uh, I think, maybe around 2 or $3 million in annual recurring at that point. And, uh, we, we thought, well, you know, this is working. We're, we're onto something here. We, we have product market fit. Like we kind of felt, felt good about that, but we still needed to build a lot because we're, we we're talking to customers. We are, um, customers were coming in. Actually, most of them, we didn't have a sales team initially. So they were coming in, uh, online, uh, through the website. And it, it was a free trial type of experience, very product led growth, uh, type of mindset. And um, uh, we we saw that it was working and we thought, well, maybe we should raise a bigger round um, in order to accelerate. So we're also a little bit paranoid, like if we don't and we keep growing out of revenue, that's going to be slower. And maybe someone else will realize that there's a big opportunity here and and, uh, maybe a more established company will realize it or another startup and then overtake us. So we didn't want that to happen. So we raised the Series A. Uh, actually very successfully with Andreessen um, and uh, and then started really scaling up and hiring our, our the exec team, building out other functions within the company like like HR and uh, sales as well and uh, uh, marketing. Um, we had we had some initial seeds of those before the Series A, but we really kind of started um, 
you know, uh, building out those functions properly by hiring uh, executives and, and branding out the executive team and then scaling up from there. So uh, hopefully that gives you a maybe not so quick uh, story of how we got started. No, I love it. I love it. And it's always, I, I love hearing that story, especially being, you know, at a startup now. It's always so energizing to hear it. So one of the questions I had for you was back in 2010, when you're building the first version of, of PagerDuty, when did you know that it was ready for it to go into customers' hands and for them to start giving you feedback and for, for you to put it out there? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so we definitely launched before we thought it was fully ready. And there's there's a story there which I can I can cover real quick, which is um, so one of the enablers for for PagerDuty was uh, you know we we started out by being like a paging and notification system. So part of the paging is well, obviously you're not going to use a pager in like even 2009 or 2010. So um, you would use a, a phone or a smartphone, and then we, we needed to make phone calls. And one of the enablers was Twilio, uh, which was an API for doing exactly that, like making phone calls and sending SMS, which is the uh, you know two very popular notification methods or paging methods. And Twilio was running a contest of their, they have their platform, and they wanted startups and uh, companies to build on top of their platform, and they were running a contest. Uh, every week or two weeks uh, with different categories. And they launched a category on the contest for notifications and alerting, like in the IT and software space. So we thought, whoa, that's perfect. Let's take advantage of this and let's launch and apply, you know, submit uh, PagerDuty for this contest. So we did that. We rushed real quick in like a week or two to like clean up and get something, get an MVP out there. Uh, we were already all well on the way to building an MVP and we just kind of finished it up and polished it off and, and, uh, submitted it for the Twilio contest. And then we ended up winning that contest and, uh, we got a lot of free publicity from it and our first, some of our first beta users from it. And, um, so it was a little bit of like, we, we didn't think we were ready. And I think this is a natural kind of mindset of the engineer is you kind of want things to be, you know, you're, you're, uh, I, I think engineers are, uh, there's a perfectionist streak in, in a lot of engineers. And we definitely had that as well. Like we thought, well, you know, we can add this other feature and this other feature. We're not sure yet, but this kind of lit a fire under our butts to, to launch before we were, we thought we were truly ready. And it was, a, it was a good thing because like I said, it led to, to paid customers, uh, which became paid customers later on. Um, and I think, um, the other thing is when we launched the paid version, you know, we had some advisors that really pushed us on this. They're like, uh, uh, in, in retrospect, we're really glad that they did. So they basically pushed us hard on, Hey guys, like you should launch a paid version of this, like do it today, like go implement the billing system and just go do it. Um, so we did. And back then, like Stripe was, was not launched yet. So uh, we had to like implement like a payment gateway. We had to implement like our own billing system. There wasn't, uh, there weren't off the shelf billing system you, you can just use, but we did it. Uh, we, we cranked it out in like, I think less than a month and we launched the paid version of PagerDuty and it was still that MVP uh, that we iterated on, but uh, the paid version of it. And in retrospect, it was a really good move because there were uh, folks out there, like potential customers that didn't trust a free, before it was a free beta, they didn't trust a free tool. They're like, you know, like, I how how are you guys going to make money? Like, uh, you know, uh, if I start using you and relying on you, like, are you going to be around tomorrow? 
that was the that was the main uh, one of the main objections that we learned about after the fact when we we launched that paid version and and then even then we started getting like real customer feedback once there is a big line between someone getting something for free and someone paying for it and having skin in the game and that that's what i'm trying to convey like even if it's an early mvp charging something for it then we by the way we didn't charge a lot like our initial plans were something like there was a $10 plan and a you know $25 plan a $50 plan and a $100 plan and a $300 plan and they scaled up with number of users so we didn't and this was per month so we didn't charge a lot back then um and uh, but but just having some some price tag on it uh definitely went a long way to increase customer trust and uh some of those customers gave us really really good feedback we iterated on that and in the you know i mentioned that paid version came out in december i would say the real like the full fledged uh version that i i felt good about came out the you know the the next the following year in 2010 and about the summer of 2010 which is coincidentally when we were going through white combinator as well you know i was talking to mark about questions to to kind of bring up for you and like bring up and and ask you about especially from the the early days at pd and he mentioned that you were uh just very thoughtful and very adamant about things like documentation and just like scalable practices really uh and he also mentioned deutonium as being a a kind of resource that you guys eventually implemented and so i think that uh you seem to have a certain kind of thoughtfulness around the uh, problems that were being faced by employees in that kind of early startup environment. So I wanted to ask you about your perspective on just like, what were some of those early struggles with employee experience in the early days at PD? And, and what was your perspective on that? Yeah, great question. I mean, early on, you know, like when we hired our first employee or, you know, first handful of employees, we didn't have anything in place. We didn't have any process in place. And, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that we needed those processes when you're that small. Like, for example, John LeBan, who's our first employee, he, uh, we asked him to assemble his own IKEA desk on, on his first day of work. Um, because, you know, we're scrappy. We're a startup. You, you got to kind of wear multiple hats, including facilities <laughs> in that case. So, um, but, but there was kind of this thinking that, you know, how do we make things more efficient and more scalable? Because, you know, I, I've, I've heard stories from other companies where like folks will join and then they won't even have a laptop for like a week or two. So they're, I don't know, maybe they have to use their personal laptop or they, they, they're just not productive for a week or two, which is not, not a good situation to be in. So, so we did actually put a lot of uh, thinking into how do we uh, make it a, a good experience, uh, for employees before they join, meaning through the interview process, and also after they join when they onboard. First of all, we were hiring engineers early on, so engineers need to be productive. And it's not just a laptop, but it's also like having a big screen or a monitor uh, so that you can, you know, be more more effective as a as a developer. Having a nice chair, like all, all of that, all of those aspects of, of employee experience were important. And it's a little bit of a contrast also from my experience at Amazon, where Amazon was very frugal. And, uh, you know, you didn't always get the nicest equipment. You had to fight, uh, for, to get an extra monitor and things like that. Um, so we wanted to kind of provide a, a very delightful, um, onboarding experience. And one of the other things around that, uh, around explore, uh, employee experience 
you mentioned deutonium. So, so uh, what that is, is when we got to about like, uh, I think 30, 40 people in size, I, I had like a little bit of a frustration myself of not knowing everyone's name anymore. You know, like, you know, I can only keep so many names in my head. I, I remembered again back from my time at Amazon that Amazon had like an internal employee directory. Uh, where you can look up anybody, you can see who their manager was, you can kind of navigate the org chart, you can see a picture of their face too, like which is basically the the picture that everyone took when when they joined for their badge. So um, we also had this uh, other pretty cool process from very early on called a uh, hack day, which is a um, every um, you know every month we had one day, which is a Friday, and uh, we. That was our, our hack day. And we allowed, we basically encouraged and allowed the engineers to, to, to take that day off from their regular work and work on uh, something interesting. It could be a, a feature that they've, they've been really excited about. It could be an internal tool that they really wanted. Or it could be something not, not technical at all that would improve employee, employee experience. And, um, you know, I was kind of passionate about this problem of not knowing people's names and like building kind of like an internal Facebook or internal employee directory. So I, I basically partnered with another engineer and uh, that other person actually did most of the heavy lifting, to be very honest. And we built this uh, Rails app uh, real quick and dirty that would be an employee directory, which is called Deutonium because we call all, uh, all of our employees Deutonians, pager Deutonians. We uploaded everyone in there and then we also kind of deployed it internally so that our HR folks and our uh, IT internal IT folks would actually, as part of employee onboarding, they would take a headshot of each person, usually against the green background because our logo's green and we're just kind of we really like the color green at PagerDuty, and um, this made it easy to kind of like navigate, especially when you first started a company, like you don't know who's who. And what are my peers or my uh, other teams that I need to work with? So it's easy to navigate. And over over the years, people have used these hack days to add new features to Deutonium. So it's a it's pretty uh, it's it's got a lot more features than that first uh, MVP that we built back in I don't even know 2012 or something like that 2011 2012. It's it's easy for startups to uh you know i i think it's maybe the default for startups to underinvest in areas like hr and it and uh i think i'm glad that we did things a little bit differently like we in hr in particular we overinvested we hired a vp of hr as one of our first executive hires it was like i think our second executive hire after uh sales vp and uh i'm really glad we did that because we first of all we found an awesome candidate so that was um uh, that, that worked out well. And also, uh, we, we, we invested a little bit more in, in some of these things like recruiting and building an internal recruiting function so that we can, we can get the best talent out there. And, um, uh, as well as we, we called it Vibe, which is kind of this, this like employee experience onboarding, um, you know, having like internal team events and things like that. And just, just making sure that, while we're, you know, working hard, we're also we're also having fun, and we're building a sense of community, and you know, we're we're building friendships as well because you spend a lot of time at work, and that was a big. I mean, personally, that was a big part, a big part of the journey for me, a very rewarding part of the journey for me because some of my, some of my really good friends or some of my best friends came from from PagerDuty and from from folks that I met at work, from colleagues and. Uh, and folks who are no, some of them no longer at PagerDuty, but we're still, we're still good friends and keep in touch. 
So you mentioned the the Deutonium, that one of the problems was around onboarding and not knowing exactly who to talk to, who your team was, and who to ask for things. I was wondering if you could just kind of expand on that 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 problem a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, Deutonium was a big part of that, like being able to navigate the org chart and know uh, people's names and faces and put a face to a name or a name to a face. Another big component of that was setting up like an internal wiki. So, um, we, you know, we use Confluence for that and it's, um, we, we did it very early on because we wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, a big part of collaboration and working with other folks is, uh, is having things like written down and documented. Uh, like for example, what, you know, each team had their own wiki page and, um, uh, they would have like a, their their team charter or team purpose or mission on there. They would usually have like uh, people's faces uh, as well. Uh, some of, some of the teams, and then and then uh, a lot of the product and engineering uh, work, which is uh, you know all all the early people at PagerDuty, all the first like you know dozen folks that we hired. Uh, a lot of the product and engineering work was documented there as well in terms of like. Uh, uh, things like uh, requirements for building a new feature, uh, putting in mockups and things like that on there, so that these things were written down. You, someone new joins a team, they can kind of read the wiki to get caught up and understand, you know, hey, what are we working on? What, what's, what have we already built? It, and it's not just product and engineering. Like another area um, that we kind of overinvested in, or maybe overinvested in compared to our peers. Uh, was customer support. We we wanted to make sure that from early days, like we provided a very delightful support experience that you weren't like, you know, in some co- some companies that you deal with, you talk to a very junior person who doesn't really know how to solve your problem. So the, the team that we hired early on for support, first of all, it was run by Baskar, who's one of the co-founders. So, you know, you can tell that we cared a lot about it. And uh, second, we hired like smart, very technical folks uh, on that team. So that uh, they're, we're dealing with a technical audience and a technical user, like, you know, it should be someone who's on par, who understands, you know, maybe it's something at the code level, maybe it's something at, uh, you know, using an API and debugging that. And, and we set this tone of going above and beyond for the customer. Like if a customer had a, you know, a, an open source tool like Nagios and they had an issue integrating that with PagerDuty. Uh, the support team would go and install Nagios in their own environment and try to debug this for the customer. Like that's what I mean by the above, above and beyond. And the the reason I brought up support is because uh, the support team would also know what's going on and and stay in the loop based on our documentation and our wiki. And and that's you know the the docs and the wiki are even more important now with with remote working and asynchronous uh, uh, communication. Everyone's working from home in, in, you know, in the pandemic times and, uh, you can't always jump on a meeting. You don't have those kind of casual walk by your desk conversations, uh, because we're not all in the same physical space. So, so you need to facilitate that. And, and I think the wiki is a good, good way to do that. In addition to, to good documentation, uh, we also, uh, set up, uh, you know, monthly town halls or all hands meetings. And uh, uh, just as a kind of uh, to, to make sure that we, we shared uh, information with the entire company, we were um, another thing that was very culturally important to us from early days was a, a transparency, like making sure that folks knew what we were working on, what our priorities are, which is always important, but also going a little bit beyond that, like 
what's our revenue and what's our revenue goal and are we on track? And all of that information was available on dashboards that were open to anyone internally because we wanted to make sure that everyone was part of this startup journey with us. I think open by default was kind of the cultural norm for us because we wanted folks to not just be sit in their box and, you know, do their job, but if they wanted to learn more and learn about how a SaaS company works and, and learn about business metrics and SaaS metrics and things like that, that they could do so if they wanted to. I think that was very valuable for a lot of folks who then went on to other jobs or, you know, folks who started their own companies. That last point I was trying to make is like facilitating internal uh, communication as well, which uh, a lot of it happens in person or, or over video was important to us as well um, to make sure that we're all aligned and working towards uh, the, the same goals and same mission. Are there other particular pain points from around employee experience that kind of come to mind when, when you think about kind of the early days that feel very unsolved or feel like they're still they're still cropping up for people? I think I, I come back to that that problem of just having so many different tools. We went through this really rapid growth phase and we basically didn't put a lot of controls in place around like, hey, if you need a tool to get your job done, just go buy it. It has to fit in your budget. And it, you know, if it's beyond a certain level of expense, like it needs to go through some approvals, but we pretty much left it open and each department started buying tools. And there's this explosion of SaaS tools. I think at one point we were like still, you know, two, 300 people and had like over a hundred SaaS tools that we were using, which, which is crazy. And what also happened is some manager or director put in a tool and then they at some point left the company. Nobody used the tool and, and nobody knew it existed or maybe it had valuable information in it that was kind of trapped in there. So this was definitely a challenge is like being able to find information across all of these different tools and the annoyance of having like two or three versions of the same thing, like Asana for project management and also Jira for project management across multiple teams. At some point, you have to put some standards in place, like, for example, email or collaboration, like we all use Zoom. There is no second video chat tool that we use or we all use G gmail or the google email because they're that's the standard or we all use google docs now because that's the standard or slack for for chat right so putting some standards in place and then putting some discipline in place around like not installing every SaaS tool uh, under the sun just because it might be nice uh, to do so or solves a real tactical problem now uh, because then you end up getting crushed by the weight of all of these things uh, and all of these silos that don't talk to each other. All right. Well, Alex, uh, last question for you. I just wanted to ask you about uh, your advice to founders. What uh, what advice would you uh, give to founders who are building companies today? Yeah, that's a that's a very big question, but I can I can talk about a couple of things there. I think one thing is early on uh, when. When you're, when you're just starting out, the most important thing and the most important mile, milestone is to get to product market fit. Like that should be, you should be maniacally focused on that one thing. And, uh, what that means is like, like you're solving a real problem for a set of, uh, folks. And, uh, it doesn't have to be like, you know, millions of users or companies or customers. Um, it, it can be a smaller set that you broaden over time. And I, I, you know, in my opinion, it's also really important that, that you solve a, a big problem for them. So to use the uh, tried and true analogy of uh, vitamins versus aspirin, 
like uh, vitamins are nice to have. So if you're solving a nice nice to have problem for them, that's going to be a much tougher slog than if you're solving a more um, what I would call a hair on fire problem for a customer, something that's acute that they really care about and that they want to pay you for and they want to, to pay to solve that problem. I would say another thing that, that I think is really important is, is the process of, and discipline of, of setting goals for yourself internally. And then it's, it's a very, you know, it sounds very simple. Like you, you, you say, this is what we're going to do in the next year. And then you can break it down by quarter or by month. This is what we're going to do in the next quarter. This is what we're going to do in the next month. Probably when you're early on, you should do something more monthly, more, more narrow. And, uh, at the end of the time period, look back. And see, did we do what we said we're going to do? Uh, maybe you didn't do everything. Maybe you did some things better than others and you overachieved on some things, underachieved on other things. So that review is important. And then, uh, especially if it can be measurable. So if you have like measurable goals, obviously revenue and customers and things like that, but also product engagement, also being able to ship a feature. If we're going to say we're going to do it on this date, did we get it done on that date? And then setting, you know, doing that review process and then setting the next goal for the next period. I think that discipline is so important. And if you can do it from from day one, even if you're just like three people, I think that's that's really important because it sets that cadence going forward. And when new employees join, they fit into that process as well. Everyone has goals. Everyone's aligned. Um, we didn't actually do that. So this is like a more of a we didn't do that from day one. And I wish we did. Uh, we, we then, I think we, we implemented goal setting, goal setting and an OKR, uh, framework objectives and key results later on when we were like, if I remember, I don't know, 30, 40 people. And it was a much heavier lift to kind of, uh, uh, put, put under a larger organization through that than if we had done it from, you know, when it was just three of us. Absolutely. I think that's great. I, I, I don't think that I, I, I come across that advice very often for founders. And I think that's wonderful, especially because I feel like that's a behavior that is so applicable to everybody and is so much more readily and effectively adopted if it's demonstrated at an executive level from day one. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it plugs into your invest investors because a lot of the startups, when you have investors, you want to send them a an update of some sort, a monthly update, a definitely a monthly or quarterly update, probably monthly as well. And then if you have that discipline internally, then it's just a copy paste of your own review process, right? So it's easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it keeps everybody aligned on a long-term scale. He, I, again, I can see why this is like a hindsight is twenty twenty sort of a, a <laughs> piece of advice, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's, I think that's an important piece of advice because you, if you are just starting out, do it now. Why wait? Just out of curiosity, uh, this is a, a, a random question, but do you feel like, do you have any like personal goals in, in your own life right now that you are, you really have your, uh, in your, in your sights right now? Sure, sure. So, I mean, I, I would say I work, my personal OKR is also my, you know, Teams OKR or my, so I'm, I'm working on a pretty exciting new initiative at PagerDuty, which is to um, really improve our, basically to, to start transforming PagerDuty into a platform. So it's all about configurability and extensibility, um, especially around like being able to extend the product, add custom fields to objects, make uh, the, the workflows that we support around uh, orchestrating people and automation. We want to make those a lot more flexible and configurable. Um, so, so that's a pretty big initiative and, and we're trying to, you know, what's the vision, starting with the vision and mission, break that down 
into like a three-year plan, break that down into like more more of a one-year kind of, we, we use a V2MOM framework, which is uh, vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measures. And uh, I think it was pioneered by Salesforce. It's it's pretty similar to OKR. I'll tell you, I don't think it matters if you use V2MOMs or OKRs, just pick one and go with it. And um, um, yeah, I mean, and then you break that down to the quarterly level and that's kind of how I hold myself accountable. At work, I think I'm, in my personal life, I don't really set goals. <laughs> to to be honest, I think you know it's just uh, just kind of you know enjoying life and doing some travel with with all of this pandemic stuff. It's been tough, and I look forward to to getting on a plane uh, a little bit more often. I've I've done a couple of couple of flights this year, but uh, it's, it hasn't been uh, the same since prior years where I was traveling like up to like four or five months a year. Oh man, yeah, you're like David. Like travel is the lifeblood. <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. I miss it. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, thank you so, so, so much for talking to me today. Really appreciate it, Alex. Absolutely, absolutely, it was a pleasure. Thanks to Alex for the conversation. Thanks to Tom Tierney for the music, and thanks to you for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks.